Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Thank you for that reading. That was good. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be continuing. This is our last Advent Sunday where we're going to be preaching on the Christmas story. And we've been focusing on missions through the Christmas story. Now, before we begin, I wanted to start with this picture, because you might look at that and see a giant pile of dirty laundry right in front of a washing machine, and the question, what is Christmas? And so I wanted to start off by telling you about the first time I spoke on Christmas Eve. It was an actual evening service. It was in L.A. I was a youth pastor. The church there said, hey, let's let the youth guy do the Christmas uh, uh, Eve service. And so leading up, I was thinking, I'm, I, I usually speak to teenagers, you know, and, chi- and kids and children. And so I was thinking, Lord, what do you want me to, to speak on? Uh, and uh, sometimes God allows things to happen in your life that you can bring into the message. And you guys know if, you, if you're ever in here, I bring a lot of my life into the messages. And that week, actually, I think two weeks before the, the, I spoke, our washing machine broke. And we could not figure out what was wrong with it. And this is what happened in our house. I mean, because we don't stop wearing clothes, and, we're, and we can't just keep wearing the same clothes. And we have seven people in our family. And I have boys that are active. I mean, they're just dirt magnets. And um, we were piling up clothes in that laundry room, and my wife is appealing to me. We've got to fix this. And so I'm trying to prepare, but at the same time, this was going on in our house, and it dawned on me, this is, this is a little bit like the Christmas story. Because we often look at that, little, that picture of Mary and Joseph and the little baby, and he's so cute and he's so precious. But the entire reason that he came was because of our rebellion and sin. He came to save us from that. And just like in my house, those that clothes piled up high, we could have done things like, you know what, just forget about it. We can balance this out by going and just purchasing more new clothes. But that ain't going to last forever, is it? And we go and well, they get dirty and they end up over there. All of our good acts, the Bible says, actually end up being filthy rags in front of a holy and righteous God. And what we really needed was someone on the outside to come in and help us deal with the problem to fix it so we could deal with the sin, deal with the dirty clothes. This is the Christmas story. The Christmas story is about God sending His Son from heaven to earth in the form of that little baby who's going to grow up to become a man, who's going to walk on the earth. He will follow the law to the letter of a T, never break a rule. He will be righteous. And because of that, He doesn't have to be judged. And what He can do is He can go and say, I can take the place of you, Kevin, for the sins that you've committed. And the reality is is that within our hearts, we're piling up sinful acts, rebellion. God, I want to do it my own way. I know you say this, but I'm going to do it my own way. And there's there's an aspect to Christmas that's about that. And that's why we've been focusing on mission, missions within Christmas. Now, I said to you that uh, in the first message, we get the mission. Uh, Joseph, uh, Mary, Joseph and Mary, he's told in a vision, your wife, well, she wasn't the wife yet, but you're betrothed to her, Mary, I should say, she will bear a son. 
and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That is the mission of Christmas. Why did it happen? Christmas happened not so we can have a holiday on our calendar to spend time with family. Christmas happened because we were in need of someone coming from the outside to help us deal with sin, and he is going to come and save us from our sins. Now, the way we've worked this through our messages, each Sunday we've kind of added to this little saying as we've gone along. How will God accomplish his mission? How will he save the world from their sins? Well, we learned on our first Sunday that God uses ordinary people to do this. Mary and Joseph, who were they? He wasn't a specialized pastor, a missionary, an evangelist. He's a carpenter. She's a doesn't stand out really except for what God sees on the inside. They seem like ordinary people. This is how God works through the scriptures. He calls ordinary people into his missions. He gives them jobs to do to accomplish his mission in life. Now, sometimes the mission he gives us can be tough. So he puts alongside us encouragers. We see this in the form of Elizabeth in the Christmas story. Mary went to Elizabeth and Elizabeth encouraged her. We see that in the early church, God used ordinary people The church was only Jewish, and yet it's supposed to be reaching the world. It couldn't break out of Jerusalem, and God used these ordinary people who walked into a city, Antioch, began to share their faith with people who weren't Jews. They came to know Christ. They accepted the gospel message, and then God sends Barnabas to encourage the work that's there. Why does he do all this? To call us into acts of faith, where sometimes we have to set aside things that are reasonable to ask for. Joseph and Mary, it's not unreasonable to ask for family life and the pathway of engagement and marriage and children. You're going to have to put that on pause. You're going to have to marry her even though she's pregnant. People are going to look at her. How did she get pregnant? You're not married. You're going to have to deal with some of that. You're going to set aside your plans. I'm calling you into a mission right now. Barnabas saw the work in Antioch. He went and got Paul, brought him there. He had to set aside influence to bring in Paul. He couldn't be a solo leader in that church to bring in Paul because Paul is larger than life when it comes to missions. The greatest theologian ever. And yet he did it because he saw God working. God's kingdom work was bigger and mattered more than some personal joy that he might get, an interest he might have. And today what I'm going to do is lay into that one more thing, our last message here. How is he going to accomplish his mission? The last thing, and this is for us, by hearing, responding, and moving in a new direction. Hearing, responding, and moving in a new direction. Now, I've got a word I want to use today for this. That last sentence, and it's the title of my message, which is to stay nimble. Nimble, it means to be quick and light in action or movement, to be agile. And so the landing point in our Christmas series is for me to call you, an exhortation for you to have a nimbleness in your life. And you say, well, I'm still not getting that. I got an illustration. 
It comes from the world of soccer. I told you I like to bring my life into all of my kids, my wife, myself. We've all played soccer. We have, we have taken thousands of soccer pictures over the years. And I have to tell you, this one's my favorite. I don't know why, but this one, I came across all these pictures. I love this picture. And it's probably because of what I see in it as a coach. That's my son, Caleb, when he's a little bit younger. He's playing, uh, it says, an international tournament. But do you know what I see in that as a coach? I see two defenders who are moving in a direction, and suddenly their body movement demonstrates that they're having to change their direction. You know why? Because Caleb's changing his direction. And I can tell he's changing his direction by how his foot is, the angle of his foot. He's about to cut the ball to his right side. Do you see that? See how his foot is? He's moving in this direction, and suddenly he's going to change direction over here. And they have to respond, the defenders do. But Caleb was a player who was very good at that. He could change direction. He was good at dribbling like that. And this is what I mean by an agility to move and change. He's going in this way, but he's going to go that way. And in the Christmas story, we see that there is a necessity in our relationship with God that sometimes he's going to call us. We're moving in a direction. He's going to call us in another direction. And we have to have the ability to change direction in where he is calling us. So we must stay nimble. Now, let me put it to you in a phrase. That's soccer. That's athletics. Let me put it to you in a phrase. That's our faith. Okay? Agility, nimbleness. Stay nimble. Staying in the place of being able to hear God to respond to his word, and to change direction accordingly. In fact, I could um, highlight words in there to make it simpler. Staying in the place of being able to hear, there it is, to hear God, to respond to his word, respond, and to change, there's the third word, direction accordingly to stay nimble. And all through the Christmas message, we've seen it. To hear, to respond, and to change. Mary and Joseph, both of them heard the word of God in different ways. Joseph, it was in a vision. God came to him. Mary, she heard it in real life, not a vision. The shepherds, last week, they're out in the field. Angels appear, and the gospel came to them. We've got good news to you. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. Good news that God has come up with a way for you to deal with a giant pile of dirty laundry in your hearts. That's the good news. And every one of them heard it, and they responded in ways that made them change direction. Mary and Joseph you got to put your engagement on pause. You know what this means for your life? Shepherds, you're on the pathway of work. You're going to leave work. You're going to, they said, let us, remember? We want to be lettuce people. Let us go see this thing that uh, we've been told. And that wasn't a small thing because it would be like me saying to you, do you know what's going on at the Micronesia Mall right now? And all of you went and said, let us go see this. But you don't get to drive. We're going to walk there. You're going to walk all the way there, see it, and then come back to work. Because that's what it was like for them. They were out away from Bethlehem. It was a distance for them to go. But they, they stopped and they responded in that way. And it's built into the Christmas story to stay nimble. 
Now we're going to look at this in today's passage in Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read it. There's only three verses we're going to look at. We're going to see it, draw it out of it. You can follow along or listen to me. Matthew chapter 2 verse 13 says, Now when they had departed, that's the Magi, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Now, again, Joseph is hearing God's word. This is the word of God to him. Now, the question I have for you is how do you hear the word of God? And we've talked a little bit through the series about that because it's very unique in the Christmas story. It's in a vision. It's angels appearing. It's magi. How did it? And we're going to come back to that later. I want to elaborate a little bit more on that. But it's, it's the, really the foundational point is hearing the word of God. And second to that is responding, which is what we see in verse 14. Verse 14, he says, And he rose... And he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Now, let me pause there and just unpack two things. The word of God brings you truth. You hear it. In this particular case, the truth is King Herod is going to look for you and kill you. So the response is, and he tells him, you need to flee. You need to Get the child, go to Egypt. That is the response. Now here's the thing, the relationship between hearing and doing. I love in the New Testament, it has a verse in there that says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. The whole purpose of hearing God's word is to bring about action in your life. You cannot be a person who's just hearing and hearing and hearing and never move to action. The purpose of God's word and truth, he's given you truth, is to move you to something. And all through the Christmas story, we've seen that, haven't we? We see Mary and Joseph respond. Joseph, marry her. Don't divorce her. Marry her. Mary, you're going to give birth to this child. Shepherds, magi, there's always response. In fact, the magi, they have a lot of action. A lot of action. If I just back up, read a couple verses before In verse 9, this is the Magi, the wise men. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, now as I read through this, listen to all the verbs, all the action words. Listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child uh, with Mary, his mother. And they fell down, worshipped him, opening their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Do you see all the action? They were doers. They didn't just sit back in the east. They went, and all of this action comes out of that. Even in the verses that I've just read, after they departed, Joseph in a dream, what's he told? Rise, take the child, flee, remain in Egypt. The the word of God is always calling you to do something, to be a doer. Now, also we see new direction. Also in verse 14. Verse 14. 
And he rose, took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Now, this is important because I, I imagine in my mind as I'm thinking about this story, Mary and Joseph, think about everything that they've done so far. I mean, God came and he said, you got to put your, your engagement on pause, no wedding ceremony. You know, it doesn't matter if you've you know, already booked a place, if the invitations have gone out, whatever. You know, they didn't do that back then, but, you know, just an illustration. It's like you got to put it all on hold. Now you got to carry the child nine months. Worry, all the worry and stress that went into that, people probably judging them. Now there's a census. I got to go to Bethlehem. There's, I'm traveling on the road, very pregnant. Then we get there. There's no room. Now I'm in with a bunch of animals to give birth. Oh, but these magi came. We just read. They gave us, you know, the Lord is rewarding us. Gold, frankincense, precious, valuable gifts. You know what? We did it. We accomplished it. This is what happens to churches. Churches sometimes, they look, we, we, we've been here almost 70 years. All the great stuff we've done in the past, we did it. And sometimes churches can rest on their laurels instead of what does God have next? Because here, God comes and says, I'm not done. I'm not done with you yet. Now I want you to go a totally new direction to Egypt. That's another long journey. What? And see, this is part of the, the, the question here. I say, stay nimble? Question mark. Because in verse 14, it says, he rose and took the child his mother by night departed for Egypt. So there's the act. The act of I'm going to take the child. I'm going to move over here to Egypt. See that action? It's like my son Caleb. He's standing here. The foot's tilted. And he moves the ball from here over to here. It's that action. That, that, that's nimbility, right? No. That is agility. Nimbility is the condition of readiness to be able to move. Because it's possible that Joseph, and this is how we can respond. You know, I just can't. We're too busy right now. I got too much going on. I have commitments. We can't make the move. I know God feels like we're calling us, but I'm not available. But the condition of readiness, the knowledge as a servant of the king of the universe is he could come at any moment and say, I got a mission for you, and that mission is moving you in another direction. So, I kind of put it this way, to be nimble, if I'm saying stay nimble, to be nimble, number one, it's more of that condition of readiness, and less about the specific action. Secondly, it believes that God does the unexpected. Because I imagine a lot of times people are not nimble, they're not available to move because the response is, God would never do that. I've never seen God do it that way. That's totally out of the blue. That's totally unexpected. And yet, that is how God works all through Scripture. You see, there's an aspect of God that's very predictable, right? You go to Him, you know what you can expect? Some things, right? Holiness. He's never not holy. And there's something about God's constancy that in some ways we can think about God in a, in a very predictable way. There's an unchanging nature to God that in reality is good, 
Hebrews says Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. His holiness never changes. His righteousness never changes. His justice never changes. His love never changes. And that's the opposite of us. See, the opposite of us as men is the inconsistency in our life. I put here man's constancy. Actually, the one thing we're consistent at is rebellion. We are rebellious towards God. We get it right sometimes. Like holiness with God, always there. Us, holiness, we could go for a while, but eventually there's going to be some unholiness. It comes out of us. Love, we could be loving, you know, but after a while something happens that the unlovingness is going to come out of us. I put here some verses. There's no one righteous. No, not one. There's none who seeks God. All of sin falls short of God's glory. This is, these are foundational verses to understanding the gospel. These are verses that make you realize you got a big pile of dirty laundry in your heart. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. There's no dirty laundry. You're deceiving yourself. The one consistency that we have is our rebellion. You know, a way to illustrate this, just Christmas, kind of a fun way. If you go back six, seven years, there was a moment where I had this idea as, as a dad and a husband where I said, let's do, I love Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year, and I like to do a lot to celebrate it with my family. And we came up with this thing called the 12 Days of Christmas. I've talked about it before in some sermons where just like the song on the 12th day of Christmas, we had this idea where you start with Christmas Day and you go backwards 12 days. And the 12 days leading into Christmas, we plan something fun that we do with our kids every day. And it kind of highlights the season that it's special leading up to that Christmas day. And it can be anything from from watching a Christmas movie to going out and seeing the lights. And there's all kinds of stuff that we've done over the years. And then I started to take Legos, and I would set up the night before. The kids go to bed, and I set up, here's what we're doing tomorrow. So if it was the lights, I would actually take Christmas lights, plug them in, put them all around like this. And and there were little Lego people that represented mom, dad, and each kid like this. The kids had smaller Lego legs, you know, and like that. And I would set them up, and then the kids would get up, And they would have to figure out, what are we doing? What is this? You know, and it made it part of the fun. Well, I got tired of it all. Like, I want to go to bed now. I guess I'm getting older. And it's like, it takes a long time to set up Legos. And I just didn't want it. And I was like, I'm tired. I'm ready to put the 12 days of Christmas to rest. And I got some pushback, especially from my daughter, because she's still, she's 12, 13, turned 13. She's still kind of on the edge. The old, the teenage boys are kind of like, all right, you know, they're cool now, you know. It's like, you know, Lego guys, you know, 12, you know. But my daughter, she's giving me grief. And then, you know, and I was like, come on, and this is going on for for some days. And finally, this came out of my wife. This is what she said to me. You know, this year, you're, you're, you're being kind of a Grinch. And I was like, what? I'm the Grinch? What? I'm the creator of the 12 days of Christmas. Come on, the author and finisher of 12 days of Christmas. But now I'm a Grinch. And there's this inconsistency with us as, as men, as, as women, where with God there's not. And you know what we see in Scripture? We see God coming down and weaving together the choices we make the good choices, the bad choices, to bring about salvation in us. 
He's a weaver. The great verse from Romans says, For we know that God causes all things to work together for his purpose. Jonah, I'm calling you to Nineveh. Go preach. I ain't doing that. He's going to go the opposite direction. Right? And then God's going to cause something to happen. A storm, which causes the context of people upset, rolling dice. It's you, Jonah. It's because of you. Throw him overboard. God's at work to bring about his plan of salvation, which leads me to another thought here, which is, what's my next slide? Which is, uh, to be nimble, to believe that God does the unexpected, because I bet Jonah never saw that coming, did he? I'm thrown into the sea, and a giant fish has swallowed me and carried me back to where God called me to and vomited me out on the beach. Didn't see that one coming. And here's, I had this thought as I was putting all this together about being nimble and being ready, because a lot of times God calls us to things that's totally unexpected. God works in ways that are unexpected. All through Scripture, He does this. I see... Um, the flood. It's like, I'm going to destroy the entire world with water. Well, didn't, never saw that coming. You know, the Exodus, we're, we're slaves. Well, I'm going to send 12 plagues, so awful the Egyptians are going to say, get out of here. And then as you're fleeing, they're going to harden their heart and they're going to be like, I want them back. I'm going to chase after them so that the timing of right when they show up, the waters have been parted. The Israelites are on the other side. There's dry land. We're going to go get them. And then the water collapses and kills them all. I mean, I could just see an Israelite standing there going, I never saw that coming ever. I wouldn't have imagined that. How is he going to save us? Oh, he's, I got a playbook of God. He's going to make the water go up like this and we're going to go through. Totally unexpected. Jericho, go into the land, conquer people. Jericho, we got these walls, the greatest fortress all around. No one's going to, suddenly the earth shakes and the walls go. I mean, the Israelites are marching in a circle. The, Canaan, the, 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 the Jerichoites have got to be up there going, what are they doing? They're just walking in circles around our big, mighty walls. Never saw that coming. Exiles returning, rebuilding the temple so prophecies can be refilled. The Advent. Do you know how much the Advent itself, in and of itself, a singular event in Scripture is so unexpected? Who would have ever thought that a holy, righteous king of the universe would leave heaven, come down, and put on the clothing of human flesh? unexpected. The resurrection. After he's here, now he's dead? Well, that's over. I thought he was going to lead us and be the king. He's dead. Now he's alive? Unexpected. The birth of the church, bringing in the Gentiles. You see how God works? And this is important to draw out of the story and how it applies to both mission and what God might call us to do. On top of that, because I put in there, not only believe that God can do the unexpected, but also new direction means change. But I gotta, I gotta, I can't skip this. Go to my slide with Aslan. 
C.S. Lewis tries to capture this in his books, Narnia books. The first book you have, Aslan is the uh, representation of God, the white witch there. She's the, the evil villain who has conquered the land. And you know how it ends? It all ends with a great battle at the end where Aslan comes back into the world and defeats the white witch. Woohoo! Winners! Great story. Go to story number two, second book. In that book, there's an enemy again, an evil in the land. And Lucy, one of the main characters, finds Aslan in the forest and says, are you going to come back? Fight the battle? Win? And Aslan says to her, things never happen the same way twice. And C.S. Lewis is capturing something true about how God works through Scripture. We might miss it, but this speaks volumes about the creativity of God in solving our messes. Think about it in the Bible. Originality. One flood. Never going to do that again. Going to have to deal with sin in different ways. Even characters. Only one Samson. Only one David and Goliath. Story like that. Two people in the Bible don't die. Enoch says he's walking with God. He's no more. That's what it says. Then you get to Elijah. He's not going to die. I bet it's going to happen the same way. Nope. God does it different. Fiery chariot comes down. He gets in. Fiery chariot, Uber to heaven. Did it totally different. And God, there's an unpredictability about God, which I marvel at. Because humans, we are very creative, but also very limited. I mean, how many times are they going to recycle movies? It's like, you know, I've seen this plot before. You know, when they came out with the new Star Wars series, you know, the first one, Force Awakens, I was like, so they got a big Death Star, it's larger, then it has a weak spot, and they blow it up. I've seen this movie. That's not very original. God is so original. And, he, and sometimes we, we can't, we put him in a box. We're like, I don't know how he's going to do this. He can't do it, but he can do the unexpected. Now, I put in here, I want to show you this, to stay nimble. I'm going to tie this together, but you hear, you respond. It's going to mean a new direction. You might think, well, it's got to be this direction, but God, think outside the box. It might be over here. It's the way God might work. But now, in verse 15, we see something different. We see God's weaving together, because in verse 15, it says, and so it says, and he rose, verse 14, took the child and his mother by night, departed to Egypt. This is him responding, remain there until the death of Herod. And then look what Matthew writes. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now I think that's amazing because I think Joseph in that scenario is thinking about them. He's thinking, we're going to Egypt because God's saving us. We're going to Egypt because he just told me that King Herod's going to look for us and kill us. So now he says, go to Egypt. So I'm going to go here, and he's saving us. But that's not all he's doing. He's doing something else. And the other thing he's doing is weaving some things together to show you that that little child is the Messiah. And he does that by telling us long ago, these things will happen and they are the identifiers that that is the Messiah. It's as if I had on a piece of paper the description of only one of you. It would only fit one of you. 
And I begin to read off. I said, everyone stand up. And every one of you would stand up. If I read this and it's not true, sit down. We're going to find out who this one person is. And everybody stands up. And I start to read the list. And the first thing I say is, the person on this is a man. Well, all the women sit down. It's not you. And then I go, they were born in Guam. And if, you're not, if you were not born up, sit down. And then I say, all these identifiers. And then you get down to things that are very specific, where it's, it's got to be them. Like something like, they're wearing a really crazy Christmas shirt. Now, Shippy was sitting here, and I called him out. Where'd Jeff go? It's Jeff! But you see, Jeff and Shippy had the same shirt on, so that it didn't work. But Jeff's name is different than Shippy's name. You see, when it comes to the Messiah, there are 351 things that the Bible said, this is how you will know it's the Messiah. And you know what? It, you, people have done like studies on it. You couldn't, there would be no person who could force replicate it. They couldn't, especially the virgin birth. And there's something right here where he says, out of Egypt, I called him. So you're saying part of the weaving of all this together in the Christmas story here is you made us go to Bethlehem, you travel this journey, and then the Magi over here, they come to Herod, they tell him about this baby king. He says, tell me because I want to worship him, which is a lie. He's going to kill him. God says to the Magi, don't go back to him. So they leave. He figures out they're not coming back. They're on to me. So now how do I find this kid? I don't know where he's at. So I'm going to just kill every child that's this old to make sure I wipe him out. He's a threat to me. All of that happened. Why? So that Joseph and Mary now, they're going to have to flee to Egypt. And that fulfills a prophecy that says out of Egypt. Because he's going to come out of Egypt back to Nazareth, because that's another one. He will be from Nazareth. You say, well, why would all that? Well, it's the way that God weaves so much together that's like no person could force it all. And it's to show you he, it's credentials. He is the Messiah. He really is the Son of God. And you see that right here in this Christmas story. I was thinking about John Piper, one of my favorite preachers. When the pandemic hit, I saw an interview where somebody asked John Piper, because it's like so much turmoil in the world, and they said to John Piper, why do you think God is doing this? As if there was some singular purpose. And Piper's answer was probably a million different things. There's one thing going on, and God's doing a million different things in it. Because God can weave together a lot of stuff. Now, I kind of I had a slide. Can you show my slide with all the people? Which one of them is Jesus? Well, I can tell you none of them. But that's the idea. How would Israel know who that Messiah was? He gave them 351 ways to find him, credentials for him. Now, that's the mission of Christmas. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, what we've done is we've looked at the Christmas story. We've seen the mission of Christmas. 
He's going to save people from their sins. And then each Sunday we jump over to the book of Acts and we see where that's starting to really come alive. Because Jesus himself said, go into all the world, make disciples of Jesus Christ. Take that gospel message everywhere. The same message that came to Mary and Joseph, to the shepherds, we bring you good news. Take the good news everywhere. And yet, halfway in Acts, the church is stuck in Jerusalem, and we've learned it got out of Jerusalem by ordinary people who walked, and they went into the city of Antioch, and they're not supposed to talk to, to anyone with this good news unless they're Jews, but they start talking to non-Jews. They start talking to Gentiles, and they accept Christ, and this church begins to explode in Antioch. And Barnabas shows up to encourage it. He goes and gets Paul and brings him to equip it. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, I want to show you one more thing quickly about what happens in this church. In, the, in that Antioch church. So I'm going to go to Acts, and we're out of 11. We have like chapter 12 where stuff happens, but that church has been growing, and you get to chapter 13. And Now just listen. This is what happens in that, that mega church that was growing, the first non-Jewish church. It's got the greatest convert of its time, Paul there. And here's what happens. Verse 1, chapter 13. Now there was in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, pay attention. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And what's important about that is you got the Two of the biggest leaders of the church, they've grown a, they're growing a mega church. It's on the cutting edge. And like I said last week, what would happen today? If there's a mega church cutting edge, famous pastors, you know what they would do? They would travel around and give talks all over the world. They would come up with curriculum. They would write books. I mean, they're set in ministry. Instead, God comes and says, I want you to move away from that. I got another plan for you. And that demonstrates the nimbility of that Antioch church. It's cutting edge because it remained open to listening to God and not being weighed down in such a way that they could, could say, I can't do it. Both Paul and Barnabas, God says, I want to use them for something else. They're going to have to leave the church and their ministry. And now, just like Caleb, cut that ball. We're going to go this direction over here. And I got something else for you. And they're going to start to travel and go on mission journeys and plant churches everywhere. And that's how the church explodes going beyond Jerusalem. It started first with this one church seeing God moving and then it, it, remaining open to God now changing that. Now, let's go back to this, to stay nimble. Bayview Mission, staying in the place of being able to hear God, to respond to His Word, and to change direction accordingly. Now, I just wanted to share with you, this church has been around almost 70 years. And a lot of times, churches that are that old begin to institutionalize. But when the church asked me to come in, my heart was, we got to be an Antioch church. We have to be a church 
that is going to send, that's going to go. And that's why we listen. God, what are you doing? And how can we maybe change direction sometimes to do it a little differently? We used to have a big Awana program. We stopped doing that. We changed direction to do different things. And you know, in the last year, we launched Mel out, who spent five years here. And Mel is planted a church, is growing a church. I'm a believer that it takes new churches to reach new people. Church, planting churches are often growing churches. They're healthy churches. And it's, it's, there's a side of it that's like, Mel, go through the church. See if there's anyone who's called to go with you, to send a dozen people with you. Let's give resources to him. Let's commit some funds to him. That's listening. God, what, what, what are you doing? Because most churches are collectivistic. We need to just have numbers here. We measure our health and our strength by how large we get. How many people can we get in here on a Sunday? How much offerings are we getting? We can't release that. There are pastors who would think it's, why are you doing that? Why are you sending people and resources away? You could do more here. Because I want to be nimble. I want to listen to see what God is doing. And I can tell you when I had that, the first conversation with Mel about that, what, how would you feel if we supported you in planting a church? And the response was, you would do that? Our missionary who's here right now, he's going to speak next week. You'd be surprised at what he does as a missionary. You see, the traditional thought about missions is you go over there, you got to, maybe it's street evangelism, maybe it's you're building relationships, you got to get converts. And when you get converts, you got to have a church, you got to start planning a church. That's what missions is. And I know that there have been at least one church who said, we can't support you because you're not doing it the traditional way. And we said, what are you doing? Let's listen to see what God might say in this. Let's have some, let's have, let's be nimble in this. Well, you're not allowed to do that, but you can be a Christian businessman in the country running a business. So the, so the strategy is we're going to have a business and it's got to be legit. It's got to be good. Who's going to respect a businessman who's terrible? That's a terrible business. And he's running a business. He is a Christian businessman present in a country that is lost and saved and needs to know Christ. That's different. And there's a way in which within Christianity, sometimes let's listen. What, how can we do it different? God's doing it different right there than he has in other places. Because that's how he is. He does the unexpected. And he doesn't always do it exactly the same way. But to, but to be open to that, you have to be in a place to hear him and respond and sometimes go in that different direction. Now, Stay nimble, Bayview people. That was kind of our mission as a church. How about you? How, how can you absorb this, and what does it mean for you? And the first thing I'm going to say is you need to be able to hear God. If the, if the first word is hear, you got to be able to hear. And the place I'm going to send you first is right. If you're going to be able to hear, you need to be right here. You hear me? This is the Word of God. In all of the stories I've told you, it's always the words of God. It either came from an angel, it came in a vision, God speaking, and God, that's, those are very unique. 
in that story of Mary, they didn't have the New Testament. She couldn't open up Matthew. The book of Matthew wasn't written yet. You can't read about your own life that's happening in the now. It was written later on, and now we have it. And since we have it, God speaks to you in His Word. And I put up there 2 Timothy 3.16, which says God's Word rightly... No, you get it right. I'm a pastor. It teaches... It corrects, it trains you in righteousness so that you can be fully equipped to do ministry. That's what the Word of God does. See, I almost said sharper than a two-edged sword. That was a different one, but, but it does that. It teaches you, just like the words we're teaching in the Christmas story, giving you truth. What was the truth? Herod's going to kill you. You need to move. What was the truth? No, no, Joseph, Mary, or that child, not from another man, it's from God. That's truth. You, you, you want truth? Go here, and you'll hear God as He teaches you, as He corrects you, as He builds you up and trains you so you're fully equipped for whatever the mission is, the ministry that He is calling you to do. And I put it there, people of God, because God uses His church. He uses His people. You want to hear God? Then you need to be here. Because God will use the people within the church. Sometimes the mission He's given you is to speak truth to, to that person. I can think in my mind one relationship in my life where I think the entire relationship existed led up to one moment where we had a long conversation about some truth to that person. And then it was like, I think that's what the Lord wanted me to do. And it would, however they, res- they can respond or not. But God uses His people. He uses His Word and His people if you want to hear God. You cannot be nimble without it. Secondly, responding to His Word. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, it's talking about running a race. And in that, it says, cast off everything that weighs you down. And the analogy is you can't run a race if you've got a bunch of stuff heavy or wrapped around your legs that can entangle you. And the things He specifically says is sin. But there are things that can weigh us down. You need to get rid of them. Cast them off so that you can be a runner in this race. How can you change direction if your legs are tied up, in other words? And the interesting thing is in that same section of Scripture, do you know what he says? Because Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. Man, that just ties in with everything I'm saying. He is a weaver. He's going to take all the situations of life and use them in such a way to bring about your salvation. The author, he's writing. You know what? He's creative. He's not boring. He's not going to recycle the same movie over and over again. He is the most creative author. I mean, I just look out here and every one of you are different. And you have a different story. That's because God is an author who has no end to his creative ability. Respond by casting off weight. I go back to that picture of my son. He's able to cut that ball because he's a young, fit guy. He's not weighted down. He's been training to do it, so he has some skills. And I think about my other son. <clears throat> I may have four sons that play, but my son Ethan, he was really known on the island as a big, strong defender. But he transitioned out of soccer into CrossFit and weightlifting. Now he's Olympic weightlifting. 
And when you train for that, it's different skills. It's, you put on weight. You need muscle mass to lift heavy things and move things around. And there's this interesting period where he, he trained to be CrossFit. He, we, we took him to the States. He trained in the CrossFit games. He did really well there. And then on the way back, high school was over. We said, we got to do something next. CrossFit, you don't get paid money for that. <laughs> and we talked about going to school. So I knew coaches, and I, made, I set up uh, sessions where he could try out. And I remember we stopped at this college for him to try out. And I remember he got out there and the way he moved, I thought, I remember I told my wife, he looks heavy. I got a picture of him. Master's college. He was trying out. This big, heavy guy. And he was known for these collisions like this. And bodies would fly, this strong defender. But now when these little guys like Caleb, who were quick, would go and turn, he couldn't turn as quick because he was weighted down. It's a different kind of training. There's a way in which if you want to run the race, it takes whatever God's calling you to, He's going to equip you with His Word, but you can't be weighted down being equipped the wrong way or holding on to things that, like in sports, there's a lot you can do that would make you a terrible athlete, your diet, your sleep. And the analogy is, don't be weighed down. You can respond in ways that allow you the nimbility, the nimbleness to respond when God tells you to move. So that you can move in another direction. And lastly, we're almost done here. Remember that change, it can be something unexpected. Don't put God in a box. It can be original because that's who God is. And, and we finish with how's He going to accomplish His mission? He's going to be a Savior of the world. He's going to use ordinary people. He's going to bring along others that will encourage you on that mission so you can respond in faith. And the foundation really is that you hear. You hear His Word, you respond, and you move in whatever direction, often new, sometimes unexpected, sometimes original, a direction that He's calling you into. Now let me just take you, this is the last slide, back to that pile of dirty laundry. Because I want to finish with this. I want to finish with two kinds of people in this room. People who have put their faith in Christ and say, I believe that that little child really was born. He went to the cross and he died in my place. And there's some that are still working through that. Either way, both, both people, God is working at changes in your life. Because even the Christians in this room, we still have things we need to cast off because we're weighed down. And I'm thinking about one word to finish with. Because we're moving in a direction. Like in the military, you're, if you're marching like this, you're marching in a direction, hip, two, three, well, whatever they say. And you get over here, and they want you to go over there and say, about face. And about face goes like this. And now I'm moving in a totally opposite direction. The word about face in the Greek language, did you know that Paul, when he wrote the Bible, he went to the military, he grabbed that word, and he put it in the Bible, metaneo. To change direction. Do you know what it is? Repent. That word is repent. To repent means whether you're a Christian and I'm kind of weighed down, I still got these patterns. Eh, metaneo, change direction. If you have not put your faith in Christ and you're, you're, I'm moving in this direction and God's calling on you, He's tugging on your heart, think about that Christ child. Think about the pile of dirty laundry. How do you deal with it? Metaneo, repent. Scripture says, and believe 
that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Father, thank you for the Christmas story. Thank you for the message that we get through it. Even that church in Acts is so much, is so rich, Lord, as we've gone through both these stories to see how you took ordinary people to do extraordinary things, that you put alongside them encouragers, and you drew out of them faith for the mission. And a lot of times that faith, it just boiled down to listening, hearing you, hearing your word, responding. And the response often is a new direction. If you bring it down to its simplest form, the gospel message is hearing and responding in new directions. The shepherds, new direction. Mary Joseph, new direction. And there's Christians in here today, I know. There's been rebellion. There's been acts that are unholy. And sometimes we wrestle with guilt. And we know it shouldn't be there. I thank you for your constancy. That you can, we can go to you and you're always faithful. Your, your word says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Every single time. It's not about merit whether we deserve it, because we don't. It's about what Christ did. He is holy and righteous, and He did it for us. And if we just put our belief in that, you will wipe away the sins that are in our life. And you'll look at us, you'll see us as, as someone who has never sinned. Thank you for that constancy. We get that from the message. And yet there are some in here who may, who may have never even put their faith in you for a first time. And my prayer is, Lord, that through the Christmas season, it'll be a time to think about that. Why do we have Christmas? It's not to have a holiday, to spend time with family. It's because we needed someone outside to come inside to help us deal with the big pile of sin in our life. We thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and we'll finish as we worship together.